0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. My name is Pastor Roy. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, today is the first of um, the stay-at-home order as far as Sundays go. And everyone's watching from home today. So uh, I hope you got a a fresh cup of coffee, That you've got your comfy spot, your blanket, and, and you're ready for today. We're in part three of this, the final part of this series called God Is. Well, once upon a time, there was a grand chess master. Who had little in the way of ego or pride. He'd play anyone who wished to test him, and it didn't matter if their skill level. It didn't matter if they were a novice. It didn't matter if they were an expert. Well, one day, this particularly determined young man sat opposite the grandmaster, determined that he was going to beat the master. Well, the grandmaster smiled when the young man made his first move. It was obvious to the grandmaster that he'd, this young man had studied and had been ready for this moment. However, it was a very well-known and easy move to to counter by the chess master. With each move the young man made, the master responded with thoughtfulness and expertise. And it wasn't before long, it wasn't too long before the young man was defeated. And they played again. And again, and each time, the young man employed different strategies, different, different moves, and on each occasion, the master responded generously but wisely. They played 20 games that day. And on each occasion, the grandmaster won quite comfortably. You see, when we imagine how God could be in control of the world, well, some people see him as the author of a play, where he's written the script of our lives and we just have to play along of what he's written. Others imagine him as being in the audience, where he's watching us as we've written our own script and he just watches as it all unfolds. Both options have issues. You see, the first appears to rob us of our freedom, where God writes our script and we have no choice in what we do. The second robs God of his involvement, where we write our own script and He just sits back and has no power to intervene. See, perhaps the better image is a chess game between a chess master and a novice. You see, the novice moves his pieces around the board and he follows some basic strategies that maybe he's read about in a book. Some of his moves are even foolish. The master responds with great expertise and wisdom. His moves are are not pre-programmed, but they're a response to his opposing player. And without even knowing it, the master weaves this this the novices he weaves the novice's moves into his game plan. And of course, the outcome is never in doubt. Perhaps God is the master and we are the novices. We make our choices freely, but for honest, sometimes we make we make our foolish choices and we make harmful choices. But the master responds to our choices with wisdom, reacting in such a way to ensure that our moves coordinate into his overall game plan. And of course, the outcome—God's victory—is never in doubt. See, for that this past three weeks we've been looking at the life of Job, and Job's life is just this incredible story where he loses everything in one day. He loses his livestock, he loses his staff, he loses. His, his business, but worst of all, he loses all ten of his children. And then we find Job, while in the middle of this incredible emotional pain, he's afflicted by what the Bible says were painful boils from head to toe. And while Job has every reason in this moment to turn his back on God, and, and even others encouraged him to do just that, he chooses to worship God in the midst of his tragedy. We find that Job's greatest complaint isn't God's lack of control and isn't that God doesn't care his main complaint is God's awareness he's not exactly convinced that God knows what's happening he believes that as we discovered in week one that yes God you could stop this if you wanted to and yes we learned last week that it's obvious that if you knew the pain I was going through God that you you'd care But his complaint is, God, are you aware of what's happening? Do you know what's going on? Do you know what I'm going through right now? If I could just get God to to notice, if if I could just tell God what's happening, can someone tell God that I've lost my business, that I've lost my family, and that my body is suffering? And so Job describes this situation in Job 30, 27. This is what he says. My heart is troubled and restless. Days of suffering torment me. I walk in gloom without sunlight. I stand in the public square and cry for help. In other words, I have nowhere else to turn to. I cry out for help, but I'm unsure if my cries are even heard. Verse 29 Instead, I'm considered a brother to jackals and a companion to owls. Well, brothers to jackals, is because the, the jackal has this, was known for its mournful howl that could be heard for miles away. A companion to owls because of the pain and suffering that Job is going through. He, he can't even sleep. He's up at night and he's a companion to the owls. Verse 30, my skin has turned dark and my bones burn with fever. My heart plays sad music and my flute accompanies those who weep. God, do you know do you hear me? The sound of my life is tuned to mourning and wailing. I just need, you to, just need to know that you know. And I think that's the question that goes through many of our heads during this pandemic. God, this has been hard for us. Like A lot of us have to put our plans on hold. A lot of us have lost jobs, have lost loved ones. We, we could go on and on about the things we've lost, whether they're small or whether they're big. The question is, God, do you know? I know you have the power to change things. I know that if you knew what was happening, you'd care. But do you know? Do you hear us? God, do you know? This word, know, is significant in Scripture. The first time we hear that, find this word in the Bible is back in Genesis, where it is used to describe the relationship between Adam and Eve. King James Version says that Adam knew Eve. This word, know, in Hebrew... Is Yada. The, that word Yada, translated to other versions of the Bible, uh, takes this moment between Adam and Eve and it infers intimacy between the two of them. Yada means to, to know completely and be completely known. Yada, it's, it's this intimate connection on every level. And if you read through Scripture and you pick out this word, yada, throughout the Old Testament, you will find that this word is the relationship that God wants to have with us. Over and over, it communicates that God knows you completely. God knows you on an intimate level. There's a passage in Scripture where David uses this word, yada, six times when it, to display the ways in which God knows us. Psalm 139 says this. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I stand up or sit down. You know thoughts even when I'm far away. My thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. See, depending on your relationship with God, that, that thought is either comforting. Or it's terrifying that God knows everything about you. For some of us, it takes us back to childhood and the, the whole Santa Claus theory. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Yeah, as if God is watching and he's waiting to take your name off the good boys list or the good girls list. And then that's it. But when David speaks these words, these are not words of fear. He's, not, he's speaking words of comfort. God, you know how I feel. You know how I hurt. You know what I'm going through. None of this has escaped you. you. When you see God as a comforting father, there's incredible comfort in knowing that God knows. That's what I want you to take away from this series. That he knows. It's like when your kids are born. When, before my kids were born, I was definitely afraid of holding a baby. I, was, I think I was afraid it was going to break it or something. And, and I was taken back how quickly I got good at some of these father things. I got really good at changing diapers. I got good at learning how to burp a baby or, or take care of them. But when they cried, well, there's times when they cried, I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I would try feeding them. They must be hungry, but, but they weren't. They would just push the bottle away. Or, or I, I would try to, maybe they just have some gas. Maybe I can burp them. But no, it, it, it didn't work. And then It seemed at times, sometimes they would cry louder. But my wife, somehow she just knew. Like, oh, he's, he's just tired. We're going to lay him down for a nap. Or, or she's hungry and we just need to feed her. Or you know, There were times where Jen would just take the baby and it would just, just seem to settle. It was almost like our kids knew she knows. There's comfort in knowing someone had heard their cry and they knew why. There's something calming and comforting about the presence of someone that you know knows. That is yada. That's yada. This is ultimately what brings Job comfort. And we read previously, Job asked God a series of questions, and God responds by pointing to the universe and the biology of the animals. But woven through all God's responses is this word, yada. God keeps asking Job, 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 do you know? Do you know the laws of the universe, Job? Do you know the migration patterns of birds? Do you know, do you know, do you know Yada, yadah, yadah." He's basically saying, "Job, you don't know." But ultimately he's saying, "I do. I know." And so while Job cries out to God in the middle of his pain, God responds with, "I know." Going back to Psalm 139, David writes this psalm that speaks to the Yada of God, and he uses the biological terms of the human body to showcase that God knows what's happening in our lives. Verse 13, he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. As David's pointing out, that God knows him more intimately than anyone. That God was there before the formation of his physical self, and God saw him, and God knew him before he'd even breathed his first breath. St. Augustine lived in the late 300s. He was a philosopher and a theologian. And here's one of the things he was quoted as saying. He said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the seas, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. In other words, we go to great lengths to discover the evidence of God all around us, often while ignoring one of the greatest evidence for a careful and complex creator, us. We just need to look at our DNA. They, they say that one strand of DNA, there's enough information to fill a, a an encyclopedia full of a million pages in just one strand. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Consider your brain. Your brain has 30 million working sectors, despite what your wife says. Those 30 billion working sectors coordinate with three trillion nerve cells. Your ears have 24,000 cells in their inner ear that convert sound to nerve impulses that allow you to, to hear. Every second, every second, you produce 25 million new cells. That's almost every second you almost produce as many cells as there are Canadians in Canada. Here's a weird one. If you're with people right now in the, in the room, I want you to take a look. I want you to look around. I want you to see who's got the longest thumb in the room. I'll, I'll give you a few seconds to figure that out. Some of you, instantly, you already know who's got the longest thumb in the room. But take a look. Check and measure it out. Who's got the longest thumb in the room? And some of you are really excited right now because you just, you won. <laughs> You've got the longest thumb. But here's what it turns out. It turns out the length of your thumb is the same length as your nose. And while your nose will grow as you get older, the length will never change. It will always be the same length as your thumb. That That one really doesn't add anything to my sermon. I just thought it was really interesting. But consider your lungs. Your lungs look like two tiny sponge pillows that that contains six million air sacs in each. And if you spread them out, if you were able to spread them out, they would cover a thousand square feet. As a result, today you will inhale and exhale 23,000 times without ever even thinking about it. The heart pumps on average 100,000 times a day. It pushes 7,500 liters of blood through 97,000 kilometers of blood vessels in less than a minute. The pressure of that blood pushing through your body, well, the steel pipes in your home would not be able to withstand that amount of pressure, but your arteries do. You think, okay, okay, we get it, we get it. We are incredibly complex. What does all that mean? Well, in Matthew 10, Jesus gives this illustration. Just He wants his, he wants his followers to, to know the yada, or the, the knowing of God, that he knows us. And Jesus says, your father knows the number of hairs on your head. The average person has 100,000 hair follicles on their head. Well, as every year goes by, I think I've been, I've been making it easier and easier for God to count the number of hairs on my head. For, for some of you, it's actually really easy to count the number of hairs on your head. I probably could do it from here. The, the skin will replace itself a thousand times in your life. Your joints are designed to move 25 million times without wearing out. There's no manufacturer warranty that, that no manufacturer has that kind of warranty. Like David says in Psalm 139, we need to think about how we have been thoughtfully and intentionally designed. Because when you understand this, you you understand. God knows. There's something comforting about knowing you are known. The message translation paraphrases David's words this way He says, You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. And this is where Job ends up in his discussion with God. He comes away knowing that nothing has slipped by God, that he knows. Before God asked Job this set of questions, we hear God ask Job a couple weeks ago, who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Or as the message translates, it says, Why do you Job, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Doesn't it feel like there's a lot of people doing that these days? But then God asks all these questions and When God's done asking these questions, here's Job's response. He says, I'm nothing. How how could I ever find the answers? I, I will cover my hand with my mouth, or cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. See, Job realizes nothing escapes you, God. You're in control, you care. And you know. I'll just keep quiet now. And here's what we see in the book of Job. When everything falls apart, when everything is broken around him, we learn two things. Number one, Job is comforted that God knows. And number two, he's confident that God will redeem see god makes it clear that there's a lot job you don't know but here's what job does know that god's working all things together for good and that he will redeem this pain that i'm going through see partway through the book of job job makes this declaration that i want you to take with you that i want you to remember job says but as for me i know that my redeemer lives And he will stand upon the earth at last. Job knows there's much I don't know. There's so much going on. I could spend hours questioning. But here's ultimately what I do know. I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day he'll put all the pieces back together again. One day he will make things right. Right. Job's not downplaying his situation. He wouldn't downplay your situation either. His physical and emotional pain is real, and what you're going through right now is real as well. But his heart and his heart is still broken from the things that he's lost and what he's suffering through. But Job understands that as tough as it is right now, my situation is temporary. And Job would say to you and Job would say to me, I know your situation is not what you would have scripted. But you need to understand, you have a God in heaven who has absolute control. You have a Father in heaven that has compassion for your situation. But ultimately, He knows. He knows you on a different level. And you have a Redeemer, even when you can't see it, is working on your behalf. And when all is said and done, He will have the final word. So my prayer for you and I as we wrap up this series is that in this moment where we feel, these moments where we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, that like Job, we would come to the same conclusion that Job ultimately came to. He is in control. He cares. And he knows. That we could at one time say, I know of you, God. But now when we come face to face with God, we now can say, but now my eyes have seen you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, uh, this story of Job. We, we thank you for his life. We, we thank you that uh, we were, were able to study his life and we ultimately get to see um, the level of control you have. We ultimately get to see the level of care and detail that you have shown for us. And God, we ultimately get to see that you know us better than anyone, better than we know ourselves. God, that we don't walk through these situations alone. That we don't just walk through this life experiencing pain and, and you're a distant creator who doesn't care But you care about the smallest of details in our lives. and God, let us take comfort in the fact that you know us so incredibly well, and that you care about us so incredibly much, and that behind the scenes, you are working on our behalf. And God, let us also take comfort in the fact that the things that we struggle with, the things that we go through are temporary. That one day, as the Grand Master you will ultimately have victory. And we will be by your side during that victory. God, I thank you for everyone who is at at home right now listening. I pray that you bless their families in an incredible way. I pray that you would just be their comfort and that you would see them through even the toughest of situations. God, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.